Welcome to the Navigating Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Shaquille Barmel. I'm the CEO of Ocean Blue Strategic and partner with The Summit Group. I'm a coach, consultant, and speaker, and I help leaders, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals make an impact through improved performance. In this podcast, I share insights and interviews with interesting leaders to define practical lessons that you can use to make an impact in the face of uncertainty. We are proud to be supported by The Summit Group, helping companies to increase revenue, deepen customer relationships by moving from sales excellence to business relevance through transformative and engaging learning experiences. I met Philip Sterland at 33 when I worked at Pure Letter. He had been invited by our vice president of marketing, my boss at the time, to share his thoughts on how we could transform our sales approach. Nothing is random. Phil and I stayed in touch, and years later, I became a partner in Phil's company, The Summit Group, before I went on to work in the nonprofit sector. I am so fortunate to work with him again now. He advises sales and marketing leaders and CEOs at some of the world's leading companies. No exaggeration, he is one of the wisest and well-read people I know. It was a treat to have this conversation with him, and it is my pleasure to share this episode with you. Enjoy the conversation. Phil, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing well, Shaquille. Uh, Good morning or afternoon. Yeah, good day. Crossing our time zones. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you are in California right now, right? Yes, in Santa Barbara, and it's... uh, Yeah, it's noon here in Santa Barbara. And it is um, the day after the inauguration. And I just have to check in with you, given that you're in California, without getting too political, I just want to get a sense of like how you're feeling, what your reaction is on what's going on today and what the mood is. Yeah, it's it's an interesting morning. In fact, it was, uh, I had nothing scheduled this morning, but yet I've just been inundated, I mean that in a good way, with calls and texts and emails of people just wanting to um, to open up. And it seems like it's 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 a new it's a new morning uh, for America. Mm. And what's interesting is I tend to um, I'm blessed with a lot of friends and they tend to know my political affiliation is what I call I'm a common centrist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've never really been attracted to affiliation on the left or the right. I've always been one who's attracted to what makes sense for America. And um, But what's interesting is everybody's feeling a new, what I'll call lightness this mm-hmm. morning, mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think yesterday was a cathartic day for our country in so mm-hmm. many ways. I think it reflects maybe what we'll talk about a little bit mm-hmm. is why leadership is so incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it was Churchill that once said, a president or prime minister, that the most important thing they do is set the sentiment for the co- country. Mm-hmm. And they went on to say that sentiment matters more than laws. Because sentiment dictates how people live their daily lives. Mm. And I thought that was a very wise statement because whether it's leading a country, a company, or 
any organization, you do set the sentiment. Mm -hmm. And I think what occurred yesterday was a sentiment shift. Hmm. It's and, so interesting you say that because, you know, I'm here in Canada and myself and all the people I've been engaging with in Canada also feel lighter. So I was out this morning with my dog and I was just thinking about it. You know, I listened to the daily every morning and today the daily was talking about inauguration day. And I was just reflecting on how in like overnight, the sentiment, the mood, the psyche of a country with hundreds of millions of people. And now I recognize there's some people that are obviously not happy in a significant part of the country, but let's say at least just a little over half the country, their psyche has changed. And it's because of words, tone of the leader. Exactly. And like, imagine an organization if there's effort put into the change of words and change of tone, what could happen if you can transform a psyche in a country with hundreds of millions of people? What can you do in a small business, a medium-sized business, a large business by being very deliberate in the choice of words and the choice of tone? And then, you know, other things, symbols, right? The flags, the lights um, that they did to commemorate the, the people that have passed away, music poetry, a remarkable combination of things in one day that just kind of lifted the spirits of the psyche. I, I, quite inspiring, I think. Well, I think also what, what I am reflecting on and everyone I'm talking to is, is Amanda Gorman. Um, mm -hmm. I think that that was a, a Lincoln-esque moment. Um, I think we will all remember where we were when we first heard her speak. It's true. Uh, allegedly, it was a poem, mm -hmm. uh, but I think it was as prophetic as it was poetic. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, as they say from the mouth of babes come wisdom. And yeah. I think she spoke wisdom to power and to people. Yeah. In, in truly, uh, I would call it almost uh, supernatural ways. I mean, uh, the, every word that she delivered, uh, I think true. Put her, she put her finger right on the pulse. Absolutely of where that moment was. Well, you know what, I, I was watching the interview with her uh, late last night. She was being interviewed by Anderson Cooper. And one of the things she talked about was the preparation she put into writing the poem. Right. And one of the things she did is she scoured social media for the past several um, months, if not maybe at least a year. And she drew out both sides what were the things being said? What were the sentiments? She looked at the comments, she looked at the posts and she drew her inspiration of her poetry from taking a pulse of what the country was feeling. Right. And at 23 years old, to bring a combination of that social media savvy combined with kind of wisdom of the ages and put it together to deliver exactly what the country needed to hear in that moment, really, really quite remarkable. I think I shared with Shaquille over the years that one of the greatest moments of my life was spending 25 minutes with Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll never forget that because he's the great lyricist of our generation. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, I said, Mr. Dylan, how did you write those lyrics? And I'll never forget what he said. I just wrote down what I heard people thinking about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what this young woman did so mm -hmm. 
beautifully is what you just stated. She captured what people were thinking about. Mm -hmm. And then with this integral mind she had was able to place it into this incredible poem in unusual ways. And that's, mm -hmm. that's not talent, that's giftedness. Mm -hmm. And I think we all were the recipients of her gift yesterday, but I think she did write down what people were thinking about. I think that's absolutely right. Phil, thank you for making time for this conversation. You were actually on one of my very, very early episodes. We recorded it way back in um, March, I think, or April, just as we were getting into the pandemic last year. And you shared some insights on how you know, sales people, account managers can be relevant to the customers they deal with. I've been wanting to have you back since then, uh, because, you know, obviously we've had a personal relationship that goes back. And um, I know you don't like uh, uh, compliments, but um, honestly, Phil, you are probably um, with my dad, one of the wisest people I've had the opportunity to, to get to know. And so this conversation is really meaningful because I don't know where it's going to go, but I know that you're going to be sharing some thoughts that I think my listeners will get tremendous value from. And I want to start really quickly, uh, just quick recollection of the, the time I first met you. It was my first week on the job. I was working at Purelator, just been hired as director of sales effectiveness, which is a position that did not exist. I worked for a consulting firm before that did some work for Purelator in developing a customer-focused strategy and a Salesforce execution plan. You had been asked to come speak to the company because you were with the Summit Group. You didn't own it back then, but you were with the Summit Group. I believe you were, you were president. And you were asked to come in to talk about how we might transform the sales organization to be focused on uh, value creation with our customers. Mm. And I was asked to come in in my first week and present to you the consulting study that I had done before I had joined. And I was very proud of the study. It was a career making moment doing this study. It was quite intricate, seven customer segments, new business ideas, new products, understanding customers' motives. And here's what I remember from that first time you and I met, because you were in the room with me, with three or four other people in this boardroom. You said that this is remarkable work. It's, it's almost like uh, an opus, but you said that it's way too complicated to mm -hmm. execute through a sales organization. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that you planted the seed about the importance of simplicity and the very specific type of simplicity and I, first of all, wonder, do you remember that meeting? Like, is that something that I do? That... I do. I do. It was uh, up in Toronto. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I do. And I, I was struck by you, Shaquille, for a couple of reasons. Uh, you were awake and I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a student of human nature. And there's just so many people sleepwalking in life that when you meet somebody who is awake, it's... Uh, it's memorable <laughs> and you were memorable because you were curious, you were awake, you were interested, you were uh, struggling with all the right stuff. But we talked mm -hmm. about the difference between simple and simplistic. Mm -hmm. And we talked about that simplistic is simplicity on this side of complexity. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Being simple is bringing clarity on the other side of complexity. Mm -hmm. And it's very important to distinguish those two because mm -hmm. it's not about dummying things down in life. Uh, I think I've shared with you that wonderful Chinese proverb that says, knowledge is about adding, wisdom is about removing. Hmm. And what it says is wisdom is about stripping away that which does not matter. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I'm talking about mm -hmm. is the clarity on the other side of complexity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was... Um, here, here it is. To, to gain knowledge, accumulate. To right. gain wisdom, eliminate. Yeah, it's so... Thank you. It's, I had to take a moment to, to get that right. It's so true. And that is, that is core to your practice of developing leaders, developing uh, salespeople, transforming organizations to to move away from believing that they add value by delivering lots of information, lots of facts, and actually identifying what are the one or two things that really matter that can change the game for a person, a customer, a company. Is that right? It is. It, it's, it's really unlearning the myth that complexity equals sophistication. Right. Because if you look at all we were taught obviously in university and, and in life and in a lot of you know, corporate life, is that to make things complex makes you more sophisticated. The truth is just the opposite. Mm -hmm. Truly sophisticated thinkers are reductionists. Mm -hmm. And it is hard. It's yeah. easy to be complicated. It's really hard to be simple. Right. Yeah, that, that's brilliant. There is a lot of different directions we can go. I'm going to pick a few. Um, one of the things I'd like to ask you is, uh, you know, you have a very clear view about what's really important in life to you. And part of that is uh, the work that you do and the way you choose to help people in that, in, in that work. If you were to go back into your, could be childhood, could be adolescence, could be early career, is there a particular memory, experience, person that you think you still carry with you to this day that, um, impacts how you conduct yourself in business? Well, I, I think I think there was more a moment. I think in each of us, maybe not all of us, but there's what I call an enunciation moment where you get a little window of what you're supposed to do in life. Mm. And I remember back in sixth grade, and I still remember I had actually two teachers because that's what they did it back in the day. One was named Ken, um, Mr. Ken Shorter. Mm -hmm. The other one was Mr. Johnson. I don't remember his first name, but long story short is these guys were, they loved teaching. You could tell. Mm -hmm. And one of the modules they had was around business. Mm -hmm. We created, we kind of created this stock market where we learned about how to learn about companies and buy and sell stock and the whole, what I'll call the, the art of commerce. And we, and every morning we had this simulation and I knew right then and there, that's what I wanted to do. Hmm. How old were you? And that was sixth grade. Oh, wow. Okay. And, th and, and when I saw this, I go, well, this makes sense. This is fun. And so, and I want to say this very precisely because it's taken me kind of a lifetime to kind of figure this out. You know, Shaquille, both you and I have talked about, we're both people of faith. Mm. I believe I'm here for a reason. 
And I believe it's important that we act out our purpose in life in the vocation of our life. Mm. So I was initially interested in business. And Churchill had a, a great quote where he said, business is the horse that pulls the social cart. Mm -hmm. And that made sense to me. What he said is, if we want to help the helpless and the poor, we need to create business because business creates jobs and taxes that we can help people. That mm -hmm. totally made sense to me. And then ultimately, I'll take it a step further. If business is the horse that pulls the social cart, then sales is the oxygen of business. Hmm. And so that's why I am interested in sales. It's not about the numbers. It's that without sales, there's no oxygen. Without oxygen, there's no business. With this, uh, without business, there's no commerce. Without commerce, we can't help. Uh -huh. That, that is, that makes so much sense. And it just explains why you and I are such kindred spirits, because, um, you know, obviously you, it was with your blessing that I went to do a sabbatical, uh, for actually longer than you intended to let me go for, for, I went for seven years to work in the nonprofit space for an organization, um, that is, you know, faith inspired, as you know, that central premise is that, is that, mm -hmm. If you really want to truly help people, you have to stimulate their ability to generate an income. The best way to help them generate an income is help them build entrepreneurship skills and get give them education so they can run their own engine. And that's exactly what I've seen happen in rural villages. You know, meeting a 21-year-old, not very educated young man in a rural village, and uh, he had come up with a way to sell... Um, to, to harvest, grind, and sell moringa powder mm. um, to support the nutritional needs of the uh, the mothers and children in in the village. And when I went up to him, asked after asking after watching the demonstration and hearing from the villagers about what they were doing and how they're trying to improve their quality of life, I went up to him and said, "What is it that you need the most?" And he reflected and he looked up and I thought, I'm waiting for something philosophical. <laughs> and he came back and he said it in, in Portuguese. This is Mozambique. So he said it in Portuguese. So I had a translator, but I almost understood him without even the, needing the translation. So I said, what do you need the most? And his answer, Phil, was, I need more markets for my products. <laughs> I need to sell more of my products and that will help me help my family. And that will help me help my village. And the more progress I have, the more I can help my neighbors and teach them the skills that I'm learning. But for him, it was all about selling more of his products into the market. And I thought that's the connection that you're, you're just describing. And that's. Uh, well, I think, I, I think that little boy represented yeah. what I call the engine of dignity that yeah. work creates. Yeah. And, and, and work is the engine of dignity. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Dorothy Day has done some great writing around why work matters. Mm. Dorothy Sayers, excuse me. And, uh, and I believe it's one of the greatest places either to damage or dignify people in today's world. It's true. And also given the state of permanent uncertainty we're living in. I don't think work has ever mattered more right now. Right. Because I think people in many cases are looking for 
something they can depend on in life. Mm -hmm. And I, so I think work and leadership matters more than ever to impact and dignify people. Mm -hmm. Oh, very good. One of the things, Phil, early on when we, shortly after we met, um, as I was a client to your organization, um, you gave me a chance actually at our sales conference to actually co-teach with you, which was a dream, a great experience, but I got bit by the bug of adult education and facilitation in that moment. And then years went by, you actually made a couple of um, very kind overtures uh, to me to come join you and work in your business. It was never the right time. And then one day I left my organization, I left Pure Later and I was waiting for my son to come out of his elementary school. He must've been grade two. And you called me and you called me and you, I remember it so clearly you said, and I can picture where I was standing outside the school. And you said, so I just bought the company. And I thought I'd check one more time. Do you want to come on board? You got me at a great time because I just left my organization. The next week I met you in Seattle. We had a conversation and I was doing business with you. It was very fulfilling. I was teaching, I was learning. You gave me lots of opportunity to grow. And then this opportunity to join this nonprofit came up. And there was three people, three people I was really struggling with telling that I think I needed to go do this. Of course, number one was my dad. To tell him that I was moving away from Vancouver to go to Ottawa, that was a very difficult conversation to have, but it was a good, a good conversation. The second was my mother-in-law because I was taking away her daughter and her grandchildren and moving them to another um, city. But the third was you. I agonized over calling you because I had found my calling with you. You'd created this landscape but when I gave you the news, thinking you might react, <laughs> um, not as positively as I needed you to, your first words were, you have to go with your faith. Like it's not even a, there was not even a question in your mind. You had to go with your faith. So can you talk a little bit about the connection for you between um, business and your beliefs? And I don't necessarily mean religion, but just faith in something bigger than ourselves. Well, you, you can't quit, you can quit a job, but you can't quit a calling. Mm. And when I saw you and I met you, I knew, I knew two things. Number one, you had wisdom beyond your years. And number two, you were an old soul. And what I mean by that is you had insight that transcended your experience. Um, and you don't see it very often. And I can't explain it. I just know it when I see it and you had it. Now, it's nothing that you should say uh, thank you for, but because it was hardwired in you. Hmm. And all I was, was telling you what you already knew is that your calling is not related to your job. You can have many jobs, but your calling is to impact people. Hmm. You can do that in a variety of venues. And like I said, you can quit a job, but you can't quit a calling. So when you made that telephone call to me, I knew you were following your call. That's why I was celebrating. Mm -hmm. Jobs will come and go, calls don't. Well, here we are seven years later and you said it then that the door was always open. It was not goodbye because at some point we'll be working together again. And here we are working together again. So now let's, you know, for our listeners who don't fully appreciate or know what we are doing here, some of them will. What do we do with the summit group? In your in your words, you know, I believe you are also a person that's driven by the calling of impacting people. 
Uh, and so how does the summit group fit in to that idea of impacting people in the best way we know how? Well, we fit in in a very specific way. Um, our design themes, as you and I have talked about, are we only do business with covenant clients. Mm -hmm. We only do business deep and long term because training is meaningless. Uh, transformation is everything. Mm -hmm. uh, you've heard me say that doing random acts of training is like painting a car red to believe it'll go faster. <laughs> it doesn't. Mm -hmm. You have to get under the hood and under the hood is your culture. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is it has to be a transformation, not training event. Mm -hmm. And so number one is, is, is we only do work with covenant clients mm -hmm. who want to transform. Number two is we are business school for sales. Mm. And that goes back to not what you or I think, but what customers are saying is they don't want to deal with salespeople. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be sold to. They want to deal with business people and they want to be listened to. Mm. So most sales training asks, how do you want to sell? Our different question is how do customers want to buy? Mm -hmm. And then if the third one is, authenticity because we only teach principles, not techniques. One of the things I've learned in life is don't become an accumulation of techniques. Mm -hmm. It's exhausting because techniques you have to remember, you have to always find new ones and it's exhausting. We only teach principles because principles are permanent. Techniques are temporary. Mm -hmm. So what we teach today, about being interested, not interesting, mm -hmm. and all of the principles will be the same ones that exist a hundred years from now because the basic nature of human beings don't change. Mm -hmm. So if you were to think about what we do, I mean, that's great overview, great description. Uh, we do have very long-term relationships with some of the largest companies around the world across industries. If you were to look um, tactically, tangibly at the experiences that we create uh, for um, the, the people we work with in organizations, what is your favorite part of that work? What's the part that makes, brings you the greatest joy when you think about the actual experience of impacting people? I think the joy that I get is to see when people get it. Mm -hmm. uh, number two is to set people free. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we see two types of cultures cultures that try to release people and cultures try to police people, mm -hmm. okay? And uh, the beauty of common sense is it releases people. Yeah. And, and it releases them to be who they already are. Yeah, I love that. Because again, the reason I'm the anti-sales training guy is so much sales training is trying to create techniques to make you something you're not. Right. And then if you use them, you end up being disingenuous Yeah. as opposed to principles to just amplify more of who you are. Yeah. So much of what we do is actually remind people who they are, right? Like yes. I think about the underlying kind of premise of all of our 
uh, engagement, facilitation, programmatic work is really around helping people find their authenticity, mm -hmm. helping them find their curiosity, mm -hmm. and helping them find their ability to be relevant to the person in front of them. And I, I think I've told you this story, but I remember when we were, this is years ago, we were in um, Alabama doing a program for that large organization that, that services airports and golf courses. Um, and I was talking about just this. It was early in the program. I was talking about just this, this idea of curiosity, authenticity, and what customers are looking for. And I was telling a story and there's this guy in the front row um, who buzz cut hair, you know, broad shoulders, was looking at me, eyebrows furrowed, shaking his head. And I was like, oh, I just started the program and I've already lost this guy in the front row. And he was, he was, you know, a formidable guy. He had presence. And I thought if I've lost him, how am I going to move the room? So I stopped and I said to him, I said, his name was George. And I said, George, tell me what you're thinking right now. Because I'm feeling like you're not with me. And he uh, shook his head and he looked at me and he said, you know, I don't know much. I only got a fourth grade education. But one thing my daddy always told me is, son, you got to be yourself. <laughs> Never forget that. And then he said, so what you're telling me is after 30 years of all the training I've gotten, all the product training, all the persuasion training, all the training I've gotten, I should have just remember what my daddy told me all this time? And the class, of course, starts laughing because he had the Southern drawl. He was emotional, passionate. And then after a laugh, I said, your daddy was absolutely right. It's that curiosity, that authenticity, that desire to connect with people, human connection, which is often why people get into sales in the first place. But then they, over time, they can lose it if they're not careful. Correct. And we help them find it again, but add layers of some tools and some frameworks to help them find it again. You know, we've talked about that platitude that says, be yourself, everyone else is taken. <laughs> um, it's, it's really true. Yeah. We've talked about authenticity as being true to self and real to others. Yeah. And one of the joys of aging is you just don't have any energy to be anything other than yourself. Yeah. And, um, but as we talked about, it's important to be your structured self. Right. Because I think one of the greatest things you can bring, especially in sales right now, is to bring order to chaos. Right. To bring structured thinking to a very complex and chaotic marketplace right now. Mm -hmm. So I think this whole uh, design thinking for sales matters more than ever right now. So true. I mean, in fact, you're right. The thing that we've been teaching for years and working with companies for years is exactly what's needed now. You want to talk a little bit about, um, you've been talking to a lot of people, a lot of leaders, you've been working um, with organizations. I mean, I, when I chatted with you back in March, you were sharing some insights that you were learning early on. It's been almost a year now since this all happened. Since that time, are there ways that you've you've thought through how salespeople need to engage with their customers? As COVID has just amplified what's always been there. Yeah. 
I shared with you that one of our clients said it so eloquently, a senior executive actually at J&J, &J, she said, when this is all over, we're going to remember which suppliers tried to sell to us and which mm -hmm. tried to help us. And that codifies the essence of it right now is customers never wanted to be sold to, mm -hmm. and especially right now. Mm -hmm. What they want are sales professionals and suppliers to help them mm -hmm. to clarify things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, that is kind of the, the heart of the matter. And I've captured, you know, you know, I've talked about sense making of mm -hmm. just being a sense maker. Mm -hmm. People are attracted right now to people that make sense. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I've talked about the three personas of being number one, the great listener. Yeah. Listening is the new solving. Listening without solving. Yeah. Listening longer. Easy to say, hard to do. Number two is to be the great explainer. Mm -hmm. To articulate in a very clear, concise manner. To be the great storyteller. And third is to be the great aligner. Mm -hmm is aligning what you and your company have to what your customer needs right now mm -hmm. to survive. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's the new archetype is, is being, you know, trusted advisors, another term that's getting kind of abused. I'd rather use the word be of wise counsel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a good way of thinking about it. One of the things I've heard you say, um, and I, I really love the way you put words together. I know you're a, collector of words and you like to create new ways of saying things. The most recent one that stuck with me is when you mentioned 15 minutes is the new hour. Mm. Tell me more about what you mean by 15 minutes is the new hour. The preciousness of time. I'd mentioned to you that in the trips that we've taken to Israel, I learned mm -hmm. that in the Old Testament, it says to waste another person's time is a form of moral theft. Mm -hmm. I think that's a wise and powerful statement. And um, this is no time for moral theft. Mm -hmm. Secondly, is the power of words. Yeah. Not just to use words in a tricky way. That's not the point. But just look at what, and again, we'll go back to Amanda Gorman yesterday yeah. and her use of language at this providential moment, literally could shift a culture. Right. Words matter. I remember um, right. I remember in uh, high school, I'm a huge Churchill fan. And, and I remember we were learning about World War II history and Churchill at the beginning of World War II said, I knew Hitler had more weapons than we did. So I knew that I had to use words as weapons. Hmm. And that statement, I just fell in love with that statement. Yeah. Because I believe that Churchill used words to win the war, to save the world at that time. Yeah. So words are powerful because yeah. it's they are they they create neural switches that help yeah. in people's minds. And it's important to use language carefully and also creatively. Yeah. to open up new neural pathways. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. And that, that idea of words that transcends cultures, languages, 
words are everything. I know that, you know, you know that I was born in Tanzania. And so I'm, it's very close to my heart. And I've been back a couple of times. And then I discovered that you actually have quite an emotional connection to Tanzania. And the other day you were telling about a word that you picked up in Tanzania. So first of all, tell me about your connection to Tanzania. At least one person, my dad would love to hear that connection, having been that's where he's born. Uh, but then tell me what are some of the things that you've taken away from that place, that language, that culture that's influenced the way you think about how people work together and how organizations work here? Well, real quickly, I spent 24 years in corporate. Yeah. Then I bought this company and I, and I wanted to consciously place a bookmark in my life between my corporate life and this new life. So I took a month off. This was way back when. And uh, a dear friend of mine named Lazaro Naolanda was a member of parliament in, um, in Tanzania. And so I went and spent a month in Tanzania and it was magical. Hmm. I'd never been there before. And I would describe Tanzania as kind of the Iowa of Africa. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I fell in love with the, both the place and the people. I just learned so much through those people that it was yeah. amazing. One of the words, Ubuntu. So, and once I understood what that meant, it was transformative. Yeah. I am because of you. It's the interconnectedness. Yeah. And what a gorgeous word that, that really articulates that uh, we, we exist only as part of a larger system. We're, we're just one piece in a larger puzzle. And it's how our piece, uh, how the edges of our piece, you know, impact Absolutely. other pieces in the puzzle. So there were two things. It was, it was that beautiful word. And then I shared with you that I discovered that symbol. Uh, I, I remember going through these villages and I saw this, this, this bird, this etching of bird that was on trees and on rocks. And I asked Lazaro, what is that? And he said, oh, that's Sankofa. And the Sankofa was the African symbol for wisdom. Hmm. And it was a bird that was flying forward, but its head was turned backwards. Mm. And the symbolism basically said in life, live life forward, but constantly be looking towards your past to ask, what can I learn from the past to create a more prosperous future? And it's that whole thing of learning from what we've gone through and especially the mistakes of our life are the greatest source of wisdom for the future of our life. And so those are the kind of things that you don't get unless you travel. Yeah, so true. And, uh, and that's why I'm a travel junkie, but yeah. those, that symbol and that word uh, were transformative. Yeah, those are two amazing thoughts. Last couple of questions, uh, Phil, I wanna ask, I can't believe the time has gone so fast. What is, your advice to young people right now, right? There's a whole wave of people in their late teens, early 20s that are going into the world right now. It's a different place than the one we grew up in, but there are some timeless principles. And I wonder what you would say is really important for them to think about as they go into this next wave of uncertainty in their lives and career. I would offer three thoughts Number one, seek to live a full life over a safe life. Mm. And what I mean by that is 
many people choose safety over potential. What I'm saying is go out and choose to live not just a life of success, but one of significance. Mm. David Brooks wrote a beautiful book called The Second Mountain. He talks about the first mountain of life is success. As I call it, cash, clothes, and cars. <laughs> the second mountain of life is about significance. Mm -hmm. And I define significance as going as far as you can in life towards the purpose that you've defined in life with the resources that you've been given in life. Mm. That means it's a different flight path for each of us, but it means we're also never going to get there. Mm -hmm. The point is, have you gone as far as you can? And so seek to take not stupid risks, but if you look at the source of regret late in life, it never comes from trying and failing. It always comes from not trying. Mm -hmm. And you'll see some people that live a life that's too safe. And at the end of their life, they've never experienced joy, just relief. Hmm. And relief is a poor facsimile for joy. Hmm. Number two is, I've often said, don't spend money you don't have to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't know. <laughs> and what I mean by that is unhook yourself from the, the myth of Western civilization that you need to impress other people. Yeah. And also the role of money. Yes, money matters. As my dad used to say, if you want to help the poor, don't become one. Mm. But at the same time, um, experiences matter more than stuff. Mm -hmm. And the third is, the most simple one is, life is all about relationships. And it's so important who you surround yourself with. Yeah. Right now, you know, the thing about social media, it makes you wide, but it doesn't make you deep. Mm. And it's not how many uh, Facebook friends you have, it's how many deep relationships do you have? And are they wise people who are making you better? Mm. Now, why do you want to get better? Not for your own reasons, but why? So you can help someone else. Yeah. But you can't give away what you don't have. Surround yourself with nutritious people so you can be nutritious for someone else. Yeah. At the end of it all, life is about relationships. Absolutely. That is a fantastic place to wrap up our conversation. Uh, thank you, Phil, for your time. And I'm really very, very um, uh, happy and grateful that when we stop this conversation, it's still just the beginning of our time working together. There's lots of great things to come. Uh, but this has been a very meaningful conversation. Well, Shaquille, thank you. And I'm going to leave you with a 30-second uh, note that I got from a dear friend and speaking mm -hmm. of relationships, this comes from a, a dear friend, a gentleman named uh, Jack Fortin. And uh, Jack gave this to me many years ago. And I think it really puts a bow on our conversation because it talks about authenticity. It says, finding yourself is not how it works. You aren't a $10 bill in last year's coat pocket. You're also not lost. Your true self is right there, buried under the cultural conditioning, other people's opinions, and inaccurate conclusions that you drew as a kid that then became the beliefs of who you were as an adult. Finding yourself, quote unquote, is actually a returning to yourself. It's an unlearning. It's an excavation. It's a remembering who you were 
before the world got its hands on you. Thank you, Shaquille. Wow, thank you. What a great place to end. Have a great day. Bye-bye, Phil. So there's a lot there to chew on, but here's just a few that were meaningful to me. I love this Chinese proverb, to acquire knowledge, accumulate, to acquire wisdom, eliminate. He talked about how as we get through life, it's about peeling away that which doesn't matter to identify what are the few things, the handful of things that really make a difference for you. And it, it'll be different for each person. Uh, he talked about sales and the role of sales, which I think is really fantastic for um, people to kind of build up their perception of that profession of sales. You know, people often don't think of sales as a noble profession. And the way Phil put it, does appear to be a noble profession. Sales is the oxygen of business. Business is what fuels commerce. Commerce leads to impact and is the engine to improve quality of life. I love that. He also talked about the lesson from the bird in uh, Tanzania. Move forward, but look backward for lessons to ensure you don't make the same mistakes in the future. And I think the last one is to become successful, to accumulate wealth is not a bad thing, but not for personal gain or to acquire possessions, but rather to be in the position to help others. So thank you, Phil, for that conversation. And afterwards, uh, Phil and I chatted a bit and he has asked to become a sponsor of Navigating Disruption. So. I am very proud to have the Summit Group as a sponsor for Navigating Disruption going forward. So uh, thank you very much, Phil, and thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, or share it. I want to say thank you to one of my favorite bands, Late Night Conversations, for sharing their song Chaos with me and letting me use it in this episode. You can learn more about them on Instagram at LNC Connected. And here's more of their song Chaos to take you out.